everyone, welcome back to Agile After Dark. Today we have a guest that has many coaching talents, and Greg and I get to be the Bobs and let our guest know he has upper management written all over him. Sports and office space wrapped into one. Hope you enjoy it. This is Agile After Dark, the podcast that addresses agile topics not talked about in the light of day. I'm your host, Greg Adams-Woodford, and my co-host sitting there is Brandon Gartley, the resident bandwagon sports fan. There, huh? That's, that's I get there. Sitting there. Yeah, okay. Uh, today's episode is consulting and coaching the Bobs versus Belichick. Yeah, baby. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, Brandon Woo! would pick De- Belichick as the only likes the front runners, uh, the Patriots being one of them, even though he only spent... A few years there, and he literally is from Dallas and from Chicago. I can't figure out which team he likes, just the one that's winning at the time. But luckily today we have with us Danny Lopez, who's a true sports fan, especially when it comes to football, because he's a Denver Broncos fan. That's right. Denver Broncos. We don't deflate our balls in Denver, Brandon. We just saying. Yeah. Well, you know, you're you're, uh, Peyton Manning, you know, that guy that you guys love so much. Yeah, their team before the Broncos. Kind of like putting a lot of noise in the stadium illegally. So I'm just going to put that out there. You know, everyone kind of has their own little thing. Okay, we can go into this more on our sports podcast that's coming soon. Uh, so, uh, Danny, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and how consulting versus coaching applies to you and why you're going to be here today talking about it. Sure. So, um, come from a come from a sports background. Big, big family of, of basketball coaches. Um, shout out to my little brother Landon, just won a state championship back in Denver, Colorado. And a uh, lot, lot, lot of good energy going going around for, for the coaching community there. But um, started off as a, you know, I was a basketball coach as well for the, for, for a few years. Um, dad, brother, come, just come from a big line of coaching, uh, just a coaching family. So for me, it was a natural transition into the agile coaching space. A lot of the principles really overlap, um, and there's definitely some overlap between co- coaching and consulting as well. So, is that how you got into how you got interested in agile coaching? Because it was a natural outlier to sports. You know, one of the things that I always heard when I first uh, was introduced to coaching was was a sports related one. What was just when somebody says a team says, well, we don't need a coach. Does a football team just get to a point where the, the football team says, well, I don't need a coach anymore. We're good enough. I mean, is that kind of where you're coming from there? Yeah. I mean, I think that's a, a big idea in the industry is that do development teams get to a point where the scrum master is no longer needed? Is the team self-organizing enough to the point where we may not need a full-time scrum master? Is that scrum master... Uh, is he really needed or she needed at a full-time capacity? So yeah, there's a ton of overlap between the agile space and the athletic world. And yes, that's a big reason that I was able to make a transition into this portion of it. Right. So we're going to get into that more as we move forward, uh, Brandon. But you know, we are coming uh, here straight from the heartland in the Agile After Dark studios. It's a little cramped in here today. Uh, but in order to make that a little bit better, we have uh, SAS. Uh, joining us, the resident um, Agile After Dark podcast cat, and we also are um, having a few beverages. So uh, why don't you kick us off, Brandon, with what you're uh, thinking about? And yeah. these are potential sponsors for the show as well. Yeah, yeah. So I'm drinking uh, Pipeworks Brewing Company's Blood Orange Cuppy, or Guppy, sorry. Um, it's a session IPA with blood orange and honey. It is excellent, and it's unfortunately not a visual podcast because Pipeworks does an amazing job on illustrating their cans. And my favorite is 
the Ninja vs. Unicorn. It's something everyone should look up. Danny, to you? So, I'm giving a, a, a cheers to Greg across the table, a fellow Colorado native. Fort Collins, baby. Fort Collins, we're drinking uh, New Belgium Fat Tire. And if you don't know about New, Be- uh, New Belgium, based out of Fort Collins, the heart and soul, the heartbeat of Fort Collins, Colorado. And I would argue, probably the first mass-produced microbrew in the country, or at least the first well-known one, New Belgium. They were one of the first. Oh, absolutely. Sam Adams? That's not a microbrew. Uh, uh, it was. Well, it was, but they were... They were I mean, well, this was, was truly... It, yeah, and I, by the way, I like Sam Adams. Nothing against Sam Adams, yeah. but I'm just saying, this was a microbrew. Yeah, yeah. Just, Boston beer. I'm just putting that yeah, out there. Yeah, you know? yeah. Boston again. Mm-hmm. What about Dallas beer, Brandon? Anything to say about Dallas beer? Lone Star, baby. Hey. Uh, yeah, Shiner. Shiner is a excellent beer. Shiner Bach, I had that at my wedding... It, you know, yeah, I like Schnerbach too. Yeah, it's, it's, it's it's a good one. This is but not our... as many as Colorado. Uh, yeah, Colorado of... has a lot more microbrews than yeah, Boston. Yeah, a bunch of hippies. Yeah. So, um, so I, I'm not one of them, by the way. So, um, so that's enough about us. But I do want to mention that again. Christy can't be here with us today. She's uh, wearing her sunnies, uh, soaking up the Australian sun. And laughing at everything we say at a distance because we missed that laugh. Why do we even keep bringing her up? She's never here. She's when is she going to come back? Oh, she's coming back. All right. Yeah, she's well, definitely coming we, back. Waiting the bated breath. Because I keep bringing in other people because I can't deal with it, just the two of us. Yeah, that is true. That's a good point. Nobody can deal with it, just the two of us. So, um, so Brandon, uh, we're we're talking about coaching. We're talking about consulting. We're talking about Bob's. I'm not sure I understand that reference. Maybe I do. I don't know if Danny has some insight into that versus coaching. Um, so why don't we get started talking about uh, the topic for this? I, I think Danny knows a little bit about the Bob's. I know a little bit about the Bob's. If you've ever heard of the movie Office Space, we are talking the Bob's. Mm-hmm. The Bob's, the consultants. So yeah, I'll tell you about Bob's it. versus Belichick's, perfect. Yep. All right, so we're going to get into it here. And I think one of the things we want to talk about is the fact that Danny both knows every single line from Office Space. So we're going to do a little bit here where each of the things we talk about are kind of related to some sort of quote from Office Space. Oh, is that what these things are? Yeah, I have no idea. Yeah, okay. yeah. Um, but I do want to also say that you know Danny comes from not only a long lineage of coaches and being a coach himself, but he actually has some like practical experience in terms of coaches coming into him and like you know giving some some good advice. So. You have something, you know, related to that, right? Right, absolutely. So just uh, way back in my prime years of playing basketball, one of my coaches was the great Big Bill Fickey. He was a former assistant coach for the Denver Nuggets from 1982 to 1984. This guy's uh, the best. Long tenure. Long tenure. Long tenure. The best way that I can describe Big Bill Fickey is he's kind of like the Sopranos of the basketball coaching world. He looks like Tony Soprano, talks like Tony Soprano, dresses like Tony Soprano. He's basically a mobster that's a basketball player. Very coach. athletic as very, well, right? Very, very athletic. Yeah. So because of his connections... Grab uh, the ball. Grab the ball. Big Bill's <laughs> New York pizza. So because of his, you know, his connection in the, in the National Basketball Association, he was actually able to bring in Dave Hopla, who is a professional shooting coach. Now, Dave Hopla has coached the likes of some of the greatest NBA shooters of all time. We're talking Ray Allen, Jason Kidd, and I might say Brandon's favorite player of all time. Wait, let me guess. All time, let me guess. Kobe, Kobe Bryant. Kobe, baby. Kobe Bean Bryant. So what we're, the, the conversation that we're really having is we have this team. We have a professional coach, Big Bill Fickey. 
he's really coaching up the players on a day-to-day basis. Now, Dave Hopla, as a professional shooting coach, we see him more of a consultant. Now, the reason that we see Dave in more of a consultant perspective is that he's coming in, he's teaching each player, maybe for like a two-day time frame, on the mechanics of shooting, you know, how to keep your elbow and your feet aligned, how to really make, uh, you know, the ball spin in the proper direction, all of the mechanics that you might think of when it comes to proper basketball shooting. And he's providing the players, the coaches, and really the entire staff with the framework that they need to move forward. Now, after that, it's really incumbent upon, it was incumbent upon Big Bill Fickey and, and the rest of the coaching staff to kind of carry that framework forward, to coach up the staff, to coach up the players. Wait, so let me stop you there. Big Bill, as mm-hmm. I'll call him, He's he's now you're saying transition into coaching. So prior to that, what was happening was was that what you would consider some kind of a mechanics coach, a consulting kind of a thing, or or what's the transition from the first thing you were talking about into after what Big Bill did? So I think what when the the second that Dave walked in the door, he's coming in. He's hey, let me take a look at your point guard. You know, let, let me let me really see how he or you know how he's shooting the ball. So he's really evaluating this person and, and providing solutions right there on the spot. Like, hey, this person maybe needs to bring his elbow in half an inch or maybe needs to move his foot out a quarter so of an inch. So solutions. Yeah, solutions. Technical right, solutions. Technical solutions right off the bat. So this is a guy that like has some ridiculous record, right? In terms yeah. of hitting how many shots now? He three does. Three point I can't remember what it was. So don't take my word for it. You can go onto YouTube. He can, see, he can be seen breaking the world record. He made 18 NBA three-pointers in just under one minute, which is Steph Curry level. Ray Allen level, he's cream of the crop. And there's a guy feeding him the ball. So it's not like he's taking it off the racks. Right. He's like making it, the guy's feeding it back to him. He's making it, he's feeding it back to him. Right. It's yeah. single ball, single shooter, which yeah. is absolutely ridiculous. It's but kind yeah. of a weird world record, but a lot of them are weird, to be honest with you. Right. Yeah. Right. He did it, though. Yeah. You know, props. So now we're talking about Big Bill, and Big Bill's not necessarily helping that. He's taking somebody who may have the mechanics, and he's doing something different with those with those skills that maybe have been gained. Right. I mean, even Big Bill is learning the mechanics from Dave. Dave is the expert in this field. He's he's learning he's teaching Big Bill, who's an NBA coach, the mechanics of shooting. He's like, "Hey, here's what you want to teach your player. Your your player is moving forward. Here's the mechanics that you need to really leverage with your teammates if you want to make them better downstream." So he's providing all of those technical solutions to the entire team up front. Yeah, so I think this is interesting cuz this kind of gets us into, you know, from office space the Bob would say, hey, walk, walk through a typical, typical day for us. And, you know, so for a consultant versus coaches, right? You kind of went through it a little bit in that, in that experience. But a typical day for a consultant versus a coach, I mean, kind of I, I put it to both of you. Because um, I've been a consultant for a long time and I've transitioned into a coach. Um, you know, Danny here has spent most of his time coaching. And, you know, we know Greg just basically hires a bunch of consultants that then tell him that he's the problem. Mm-hmm. So, you I'm know, good at that. Yeah. So, I mean, it's kind of, that's kind of where we're coming from. So I'm kind of thinking for the three of us kind of discuss what like a typical day is. I know as a consultant, my typical day is I'm coming in, I have a model. I'm saying, this is the things that I know that work really well. Uh, I may do an assessment, right? I may say, all right, I'm gonna look at what you're doing, like the Bobs did, and say, "Hey, walk through your typical day with a, you know, for us, right?" And I'm gonna then kind of take notes as a result of that, and from that, then take my model and say, "This is what you need to do." That's kind of for me as a consultant in my previous experience. That's what I did. What, what from a coaching standpoint, Danny, is you know kind of a little bit different from a day-to-day standpoint. I think from a really from a coaching perspective, you're asking, you're really trying to develop your team 
set them up for future success. A consultant might come in and provide expertise level, expertise level knowledge, whereas your coaches are going to come in and try to develop you and push you to really become something that you're maybe not comfortable with becoming or kind of take you to that elevated level. So just to go back to this Dave Hopla example, um, you know, Dave really wanted to come in and make you just a shooter that you never were like an extremely efficient, whether it's a free throw shooter or a three point shooter, he wanted to come in and push you to get to that very next level. Whereas, you know, a, a consultant really might come in and just provide a, this framework and kind of get out of the way and let the coaches kind of take that role back over. Kind of day to day, yeah. Right. Well, so what, what's the point of a consultant then? I mean, what you just described was there's this consultant that comes and does something, but really it's where the team and the coach happens where that makes the that makes the most difference. So what, what is the role of the consultant if what you just described was minimized by that? Yeah. And I think that's a, that's a common kind of question. And, you know, I think the way that a lot of people have described to me in the past is kind of the consultant is more of a left brain activity. You know, it's taking a linear steps towards a specific goal, whereas coaching is predominantly a right brain. It's about growth and evaluation, right? And evolution, right? So, as a consultant, a lot of times, and we know as coaches, if we're on a client for too long, we kind of lose perspective. We kind of get ingrained in what, what other culture is within the, within the client. And we kind of lose that outside experience and the outside look into how things are going on that maybe really aren't right. But we're so ingrained with the people that we're working on a day-to-day basis, we may not see that there's a, a new way or something different to, to approach it. So that's been my experience. Yeah, and I think in future podcasts, we're going to talk about transformation. I think when we get into those topics, we're going to probably be talking about the very specific differences between what a consultant does and looking at big picture frameworks from a kind of portfolio perspective or a, or a large business problem solving and coaching. So, um, So I think one of the things that I'm hearing is is that there's this concept of problem solver versus solving problems and um jumping to conclusions if yeah you will. and so is that danny help me understand that reference uh that's i have a feeling that's a office space reference yeah so it's a, a jump to conclusions mat and it's it's an invention where you actually have a mat with various conclusions written on the mat and at any time you can actually jump to one of those conclusions. That sounds like a great idea. Great this is idea, how right, I do Brandon? these. This is how Brandon does these podcasts. He just t- types up a bunch of stuff and then cuts them up and puts them on his bed and then jumps on the bed. He sleeps on it and literally whatever sticks to his body when he wakes up, that's what the pod, that's what the podcast well, is. I'm from the generation of actually having stickies for right, some people. <laughs> <laughs> so I think what you're saying, Danny, is when we're talking about jumping to conclusions, there some... Some consultants and or coaches just have a bag of tricks that they think, oh, if I just apply this thing that I learned without really listening to what the client and or team needs, it's not a real, it's not going to help. It's just going to be you filling a contractual obligation because, oh, well, I taught them this, this activity or went to this workshop and they're just, they're going through the motions. Really, the consultant or the coach is going through the motions. So if you relate it back to your basketball experience, did you ever have a coach or a consultant who came in and you just felt like, I'm not learning anything. There's nothing personalized to me. I'm not, or even as a team, we're not growing because this person is just giving me the same drills I did when I was in fourth grade. Absolutely. So I, we can connect that back to the agile space really and the athletic space. So I'll give you a good example, Greg. So back uh, when the Denver, when the Denver Broncos drafted Peyton Manning or recruited Peyton Manning to the Denver Broncos, 
<laughs> so Gary Kubiak comes in and he makes Peyton Manning go under center. And that's what Peyton Manning had done, the complete opposite of his entire career. Yep. So he was trying to impose a framework upon Peyton Manning. It wasn't suited to Peyton Manning's strengths. Peyton Manning is a shotgun quarterback. He likes to stay back in the pocket, dissect the defense, all that good stuff. So rather than uh, you know building around his team, he kind of crammed a framework on top of his players, which, which didn't work. We didn't even make the playoffs that year. So um, you see that a lot in the agile space. So sometimes you'll see... Agile coaches, they'll come in, they'll impose scrum, you know, to the T on a team, or they'll impose Kanban to the T, or maybe it's safe, whatever that might look like. It might not be a tailored solution for the client, but, um, you know, I think as coaches, we're really taking the lens of what what is something that we can build for a custom solution? It's interesting that you say that from the coach perspective, because I think uh, Greg was trying to give you a softball where it was the consultants that come in and try and impose their will. But it is an interesting point that you bring up because... Uh, coaches can be just as guilty of doing that as consultants. Sure. Yeah, no, I yeah, that absolutely. was a good that was a good response, and it yeah. it started making me think about, in some ways, what's the line between a consultant and 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 a coach, and and maybe there shouldn't be a total distinction. Like you said, Gary Kubiak should have been, as he was related to personnel, he should have been the consultant who's picking the personnel, but he also should have been the coach who knew right. the strengths and weaknesses. And I think that's a good opportunity for us to break because we'll probably get into some of that stuff after the break. So uh, please uh, send any feedback or questions to feedback at agileafterdark.com. You do like my cats, so there's that. I've actually put an offer on SAS yeah. uh, multiple, on multiple occasions, but... Yeah, my wife's not thrilled about that whole idea. Not at all. Even with a kidney, because I'm gonna need a kidney given the amount of drinking we're doing during these podcasts. What do you say? You're I gonna s- give? You're gonna trade your kidney for? Sorry, Greg. As we speak, so you got getting into my cherries. <laughs> I mean, well, she's part of the here. podcast, by the way. She's yeah. known. Yes, she is. In the podcast. <laughs> yeah, she is. No, that's gonna stay. Definitely gonna stay. All right, so we're back. Uh, I forgot to ask Greg, because I'm not a good friend. I forgot to ask him what he was drinking. Uh, and But the truth is, he's drinking the same thing he always does, which is straight makers, bourbon. So, But I, based on that, I'm going to give you this next question, Greg, so you can go ahead and take this. Well, say, so I'm going to do the quote, and it's from Office Space. Again, a movie I've tried to watch but fell asleep in, so I'll just read it. Straight shooter with upper management written all over him, which is apropos because my drink is actually straight bourbon. So what I want to know a little bit more about is are both coaches and consultants looked as looked at as being the experts? And Danny, I'll let you explain maybe a little bit about the movie and what that means. Right. Well, I, I think just putting the movie aside for a second, I think that... As how, dare coaches, you, how dare you put the movie aside? Yeah, well, because uh, well, you wouldn't get it anyway. True. Yeah, Greg, you got to catch up. Anyway... So I think that as coaches coming into an engagement, oftentimes there, there's there's overlap between the two roles. And I think that as coaches, we're often considered the experts day one as soon as we step onto the client site. So, I mean, Brandon, if you want to elaborate on more of that portion of it. Well, and I think it's kind of interesting. It's a very interesting conversation because I think consultants are always looked at as the experts because they're coming in, they have their models, they're doing their assessments, they're kind of looked at as, you're coming from the outside, you are the people that we expect to come in, tell us what we're doing wrong, I mean, basically, right. and what are the ways that we're gonna to do to correct that? 
Whereas with coaches, having some experience with that, I kind of wonder if there's some of that kind of that carryover from people looking at coaches coming in. They're kind of considered consultants in a lot of ways. But our, yes, we're experts in what we do, but we kind of approach it a different way. And we kind of talked about that before. Right. And I mean, have you ever had scenarios where you're in front of a room, you're giving you know, presentation, whatever that might be, the whole room is kind of looking at, to you, at, you know, to you as, are you that you're the expert in this particular situation, right? You, have, you, have you had well, those scenarios? Here's what, here's what I'm going to say to this. There's a difference between being right and being helpful. And it's stupid, within this, what was it? Stupid. Uh, what was it? <laughs> it was, it was, that's stupid. my own quote. <laughs> I know. Well, what the hell was it? It was uh, stupid. God, I keep saying stupid. I interrupt. You. <laughs> keep saying it. You might feel it and look it. So anyway, um, my point is a lot of times consultants get and coaches get caught up in this thing where they're, they're supposed to be right because they went to school. They've gone through all the training. And so we're about being right. We're not being about being helpful. And the perceived value of a consultant and or a coach is to be helpful. Stupid common sense and advanced common sense. Oh, yeah. No, just common sense and advanced common sense, right? right? Yes. So really, stupid it, it doesn't go on beyond that, really, if you think about it. So, Danny, in your in your experience, and again, I think we'll talk more about this in, in, in a future podcast around this transformation, is, is what is the value of an expert if they're just there barking out rules and being thinking they're being right all the time versus listening and trying to be perceived as being helpful to whatever endeavor it is, even if it doesn't fit a prescribed model or framework of the way it's supposed to be versus the way it needs to be adjusted or customized to the people you're trying to help. Right. And I mean, at, at the end of the day, it's all about providing a really tailored solution for the client. So one of the first things as, as a coach for the first two days, it's like, only asking questions. We're not coming there and we're not imposing the framework upon people. We're just asking those powerful questions, being inquisitive, being curious, taking taking that that state of curiosity with our client. I think if we can get to that point, it's we're moving, you know, obviously there's going to be some overlap between consulting and coaching, but the the the, the mindset of being curious and asking those questions for the first two days is really really powerful. Yeah, and I think that kind of gets into what I want to get into the next question and another office space quote, of course is kind of talking about culture and cultural change, right? So one of my favorite uh, kind of downer quotes, but it cracks me up every time, is the main character says, every single day of my life has been worse than the day before it. So that means that every single day that you see me, that's the worst day of my life. And then that's when the therapist says, that's blanked up. <laughs> right? And so it kind of gets to, you know, you have the culture of, of the community. Right. In terms of a consultant, in terms of looking how they may change culture versus a coach changes culture. Now, I'll, I'll quickly take on the consultant side, which is they're not really brought in to, to analyze, assess and say, OK, I'm a, with the models that we have and we know that works. This is why I'm going to change culture and it's going to be a long term thing. We know that this has been effective in terms of changing culture overall, but they're not seeing it through to the end. That's, that's not their their job as consultants, to be perfectly honest. They're there to say, hey, Greg, you need to not be as involved with the teams. You're kind of messing things up. So why don't you back off and let the teams do their thing? Right, Greg? Yeah, you know, it's just, this is a hard one for me. Not hard. It's, it's a good one because I, I think this 
it also goes to speak to the fact that if you can't develop personal relationships with both as a consultant, I mean, I think a consultant's a little harder because you're probably standing up in front of a room full of people and you're there with a PowerPoint or some exercise or workshop. And I think it's a little more difficult when you have two or three days versus a coach who has, you know, weeks at a time, hopefully, to build a personal rapport. But if you don't have that, how, how in the world can you convince or inspire somebody to change? And if we're talking about coaching specifically, it's about inspiring people to change. It's not just teaching them. Like, Danny, when you go back to the very beginning, of the, the, your coaches inspired you from a sports perspective, right? They inspired you. It wasn't just a telling you technique. They inspired you to f- understand why you should change the way that you behave, why that you should change your stance or the way that you shoot or whatever it might be, right? They inspired you to, s- to see you could be better and to understand your potential. I was just talking to one of my uh, cohorts today about how great it is to watch people fulfill their full potential. And that's one, I think one of the most rewarding things as a consultant or a coach is to be able to do that and watch that happen. Right. And that, I, yeah. Yeah. And I, I think a, a, some of the greatest coaches that I've worked with, they've been able to really find how to unlock that potential within, within all of their individual players. Maybe it's even with other coaches within the staff, but they can really pinpoint through just a really personal connection you know, how do we unlock the potential of this particular team as a system? And we have the individuals within the system. How do we unlock that as well? So I think the great coaches will really be able to find, you know, really get in there with their with their teams and ask those powerful, thought-provoking questions and try to make their players and, and the team go up to a level that maybe they didn't think they could get to. Well, and let's, if we, I'm not, I would hate to use Belichick because we could make the argument that he makes better, you know, teams better around him and mediocre players a good team. But Elway, think about his days in the in the in the eighties. He had Vance Johnson, he had Sammy Winder, he had nothing, and he still went to three Super Bowls, right? So it was a kind of he was the coach of the team. He lifted those or the consultant. He lifted those those people up that was and a made better. Conversation here it comes. Yeah. So anyway, Elway, baby. Yeah. Right. Top yeah. five. I mean, if we're uh, part of this podcast, obviously, we're going back to some sports analogies. And if you take a look at Michael Jordan, he was really making every single person around him better. He was just a player and a coach on the floor simultaneously, unlocking the potential of all of his teammates around him. That's why they won six straight NBA. Well, I know. And Kobe, six in a row, I mean, six Kobe, in a row. too, right? Same thing with Kobe. I mean, he really made everybody around him better, right, Brandon? Kobe is way better, Brandon. We're not getting into Kobe. Not getting to Kobe. All right. So this is a good time for us to break. It so is. Uh, if you have any questions or feedback about how Kobe is not the best player in the NBA ever, uh, send it to feedback at agileafterdark.com. LeBron. Uh, welcome to Agile After Dark, the podcast that addresses agile topics not talked about in the light of day. I'm your host, Greg Adams Woodford, and my co-host is Brandon <laughs> that's, what I, that's what I'm talking about. <laughs> but it's because I have bad handwriting. It says gauntly. <laughs> it says gauntly. <laughs> All right, so we're back again. Uh, I think one of the things that we wanted to get into is one of another one of my favorite Office Space quotes, which is, "No, no, no. We, you understand? We fixed." the glitch and when i'm talking about fixing the glitch in this in this topic you know is there more value in identifying weaknesses which consultants tend to do versus building on strengths which coaches tend to focus on Hmm. i'm actually going to put that to greg first because you've kind of seen that from both sides you know at kind of the 
executive product level. Yeah, you know, I think that it's it's part of the it's part of the sales cycle. And let's just be honest, that's part of what consultants do. And I like to joke around about, even though I'm one of them, consultants sell air. Because if you look at a consultant's contract, there isn't a whole lot of deliverables mentioned that are hard and fast. It's a lot of, we're going to help you do this and that. And it's pretty, what I would call squishy. And so what happens is there's this concept of you're identifying FUD to generate, in, you know, to generate the need to have coaches come in. And so a consultant's job, in a, in a cynical take on it, a consultant's job is to come in, identify the weaknesses or the negative spaces or the gaps, so then you can come in and fill your people into those gaps. And I think that's a very, you know, I think it's a very typical model. Yeah, and I think the consulting work that I've done in the past that I've felt that's been very effective is the doing the assessment and kind of understanding where, you know, really is like the bobs. The kind of the, the irony of that is, is that I've been actually called the bobs, where I've actually done it for the consultant firm that I'm working for, that I've come in and talked to them about what they did wrong, and then talked to the clients what they felt went wrong with that consulting firm that I actually worked for, and kind of bridging those gaps. But then additionally, then saying, okay, now based on that assessment, and kind of what I'm hearing from both of those sides, saying, all right, instead of, augmenting which is kind of what i think what greg was talking about saying okay you need all these people to do all these roles then kind of filling it with coaches saying okay we have an idea what went wrong we understand that coaches will then be able to kind of continue the work and the discovery that we had but the idea is to eventually then be a pass off right you know and i think that's the kind of the difference of doing the AUG versus the coaching. I mean, what's your, your experience with that, Dave? Well, I mean, I think taking it down, you know, a level to, to, to more of a team level, we're trying to back, tying it back to sports. I think a good coach will set up both organizations and individuals, really putting them in a position to succeed. You know, finding the strengths of individuals. You know, what, what is this person really good at? What Where can we really leverage this individual or this particular system? And how can we set this person up for, for success, really? I think the good coaches really will focus on that. It's obviously, it's it's imperative to focus on weaknesses as well. We need places for improvement. But um, again, I think the good coaches really set their set their teams up for success and with their strengths. So here, here's the question I would have. As a, as a former buyer of literally millions of dollars worth of consulting and coaching, um, my question would be, if you had a million dollars... What would you do? Which I think might actually be a quote from the mo- from the, the movie. I'm not sure about that, but if you had a million dollars, what would you do? And I would go to my friend, and what was his name? His friend's name? It's like he like invests in bear bonds. And oh, Samir. 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 Yeah. I have my friend Samir. Yes. Invests in bear bonds, yes. short funds, and I would. You yes. Know. You're missing the point of the exercise here. <laughs> yes. Okay. Exactly. It's it's like. If you could choose any job, like what do you love, yeah. that's what you should ultimately be doing. At right, the end of the day. exactly. That's the exercise. Exactly. Right? So, you know, is there a better way for clients to spend their money? I think that's kind of right. And yeah. so, if you if you thought about what you would do, you would have a consultant come in, hopefully a trusted consultant who come in and identify certain areas or gaps, and that may be a three day engagement or a four day discovery engagement, and then those people set up a set of recommendations that would you know, include both internal and potentially external research. Because I do think external coaches who can come in and provide an outsider view are really important. But the money should be spent on the coaching and the long-term success 
of your team, building success of your team, building business um, capabilities in your teams, as opposed to, because the consultant's going to come in every single time and tell you, oh, well, you you got those fixed, but here's the other four things you got to do now. And they may be right. They right. may be they may be absolutely right. right. But how many, how many holes can you plug? Yeah, because yeah. at the end of the day, are they selling or are they trying to really help? And I think that's where consulting firms go off the rails where they're just, they're constantly just pressured to push, you know, money into the, the client. And I think there's been a movement where, I mean, you know, Greg, you had an experience where, and you brought a consultant firm in and you're like, we really need to figure out what this problem is. And you're like, you're the problem. And no, me personally, yeah. I was the problem. Yeah, yeah. I was actually the problem, yeah. which I mean, made my boss really story. happy because yeah. <laughs> I was over a million dollar contract that they paid just to tell me, oh, the guy that hired us and the guy's in charge, he's not good. So <laughs> that was a really great day for me. No, it was just that you were too involved and you were, you know, yeah, like, you know, yeah, yeah, all that stuff. Hey, I'm, I, got, I had to get coached. I wouldn't be here today if yeah. I wasn't coached. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, I think there, there, there still is a place where, and I think consulting has evolved over time. I think the trap to your point, Greg, is if it's consulting to provide more sales for augmentation. Yeah, for traps work, a good word for it. Yeah, yeah, you know, I think that that, that is where you run into to some issues where you can still have consulting that comes in and says, you know, we can help you deliver things at a lower cost, but more than that. And in mm-hmm. terms of, you know, we also need coaches to be able to come in and say, okay, how do we change that culture? And I think that's the difference. So you're changing culture versus paying attention to measurement in terms of what the return on investment is. Well, yeah, and I think, you know, I mean, the measurement comes in at some point, but it can't be resource utilization or some dashboard that has no meaning that's so abstract that nobody even understands what it is and it just creates fear and doubt amongst everybody, right? I think if you go into an organization, you should leave that organization, and I was just having, again, this conversation today with, with some of my colleagues. You want to leave that organization with them feeling like, that group came in, they helped us, they helped us in a, in a, in a hard time, they helped us through hard you know, changes and transformations that we had to make, and they left, and we're better for it, and maybe we want them back you know, at, at some point. Right, so I can be the Bobs, but to, to Danny being the Belichick, I know he hates to the, the have me pass that off to him, but from a coaching perspective, to kind of wrap this up, you know, we've kind of talked about a lot of different variables, but I'm kind of curious from both from the sports, working with teams, and kind of seeing where coaching really makes a difference. I really want to know, you know, what what has been the biggest impact in terms of coaches and what you've done, both in the, you know, sports side and also the agile side. So, yeah, in, in terms of the sports side, I mean, there's, it's really, there's so many parallels between the sports and the agile world. So, I mean, you can, you can, do, you can make comparisons all day. But I, I think one of the biggest wins in, in terms of a basketball sense, we, we find different teams that maybe they don't have the level of effort or the level of hustle in, 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 on the basketball court, right? If we can come in and all those things are variables that we can control, the level of effort, how hard do we hustle, how hard do we run, all those things are all coachable things. So getting into those teams, you know, and really changing that culture of one that's more lackadaisical into something that's more effort-based, 
those are huge wins from a coaching perspective on the basketball court. Everything else is technical. The shots may not fall one day. Um, we may not be hitting our free throws. But one thing that we can always control is our level of effort. And that, from a basketball perspective, it, as well as an agile perspective, if we come into development teams, that's something that we can really coach some of our, our developers, testers, whatever that might look like to really change that level of effort. I think coaches really have the ability to come in and make an organizational impact, a transformational impact. I know we, I know we don't like that word. That's kind of a, a different oh, poss- we'll possibly be, nasty no, kind we'll, of word we'll, we're gonna be talking about transformation yeah i know podcast, i know we'll be talking so it's, about it's that in, yeah. a little bit more but um i mean recently we on one of the teams i've been coaching we had a, a very large I, I would say team transformational win in that the, the team had a lead developer that would dictate every single piece of work to the rest of the development team and so it took a it took a lot of coaching we had a we got to go to this developer. She's extremely influential. We had to we had to kind of work with her and say, "Hey, use your power and your influence for the good of the team." Um, you know, there there are days that this particular developer would come in. She would say, you know, she would just be in a bad mood. She would be in a horrible mood, and that would directly impact the rest of the team. You would see the team, their body language, the energy, everything in the room would completely shift. And so we kind of worked with her and we said, hey, if you come in with a positive attitude, if you come in with a level of curiosity as opposed to, you know, a more uh, defensiveness or kind of imposing on the rest of the team, you can really dictate the direction that this team goes. She took that coaching to heart and she came in the very next day with with this attitude of, hey, I wanna coach you guys. I wanna really provide guidance on how to develop and architect some of these systems. And we saw an immediate impact in the team. The, the team was was bright, they were cheerful, they were having a great time working. It was it was much more collaborative. And she took the took the spirit of really being more directive as being to more more collaborative. And so we we changed that that the culture on that team and we had to go through one person to do that. And I thought it was just really interesting in that if you can shift one person's mindset, you can impact an entire team. And I think that's what coaches have the power to do. So if you can get Kobe to not shoot up 50 shots a game and actually get the rest of the team involved is kind of what I'm hearing. Now. Kobe is the second best player of all time, Brandon. I don't know if you knew that. So We have know, a friend, Steve, that would agree. I think agree. we talked a lot about sports. And to wrap up here, yeah. we talked a lot about sports today. We had a great guest. Mr. Danny Lopez. And by the way, we know this is an audio, but you see he's a handsome devil, very athletic. You can tell he works out a lot. Just going to say, we, I thought that was a good ad at the end yep. there. But we thank you, Danny, for yep. coming on. Yep. And uh, hopefully we hear from you in yep. the future. And uh, check out Channel 9. <laughs> Dos mas. Dos mas. Dos mas. <laughs> All right. Thanks, everyone. Uh, if you have any questions or feedback, uh, send it to feedback at agileafterdark.com. Yeah, okay, 100%. Then he'll just pick the stuff that. that's good. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Wrap it up. <laughs> All right. Well, I'll definitely put it in there. It's going to be something funny. <laughs> right. <laughs>